This is the Engineering and Leadership Podcast with Pat Sweet, Episode 31. Welcome to the Engineering and Leadership Podcast, the show dedicated to helping engineers thrive. Today, I speak with Captain David Marquet about his new book, Leadership is Language, The Hidden Power of What You Say and What You Don't. Hey, everybody, Pat Sweet here, and welcome to Episode 31. This is a very exciting show for me, very exciting episode, and and it's it's special for me, frankly. I'm really excited about this because I've been a fan of David Marquet, who's my guest today, for a very long time. In fact, his first book, called Turn the Ship Around, has long been one of my favorite leadership books of all time. Uh, and, and his story has had a real influence on me and, and my views of leadership and how I practice so to get to to meet him and discuss leadership and his new book on the podcast, it's it's a real honor and a lot of fun. And I think you'll hear that during our chat today. So that's all I'm going to say today. Let's just fast forward and uh, move ahead toward the main content for today. The world we operate in today looks very, very different than it did 100 years ago. There's more complexity, more uncertainty, and greater competitive pressures than ever before. But according to David Marquet, there's one thing that hasn't changed very much in that time, and that's how leaders speak to their teams. David Marquet believes that much of the language we use today was born 400 years ago and refined throughout the Industrial Revolution. It's language that may have made sense back then but has no place in the working world of today and may actually be holding you and your team back. David's views are captured in his latest book, Leadership is Language, The Hidden Power of What You Say and What You Don't. And we'll go deep into that book during our interview today. David Marquet is a retired U.S. Navy captain, the former commander of a nuclear submarine, the USS Santa Fe, and best-selling author of Turn the Ship Around. Today, David works to develop organizational leaders globally through his company, Intent-Based Leadership International. Here is my conversation with David Marquet. Mr. David Marquet, welcome to the Engineering and Leadership Podcast. It's an absolute pleasure to have you here today. Thank you. Do you go, you go by Pat or Patrick? Uh, either's just fine. My, my wife would call me Pat, so that's, that's a good... Uh... <laughs> Thanks, Pat, for having me on your show. You're very welcome. Um you just released not long ago uh, your latest book uh, called Leadership is Language, The Hidden Power of What You Say and What You Don't. And I've just wrapped that up. It's a it's a, a phenomenal read. And the, the thesis statement to me seems to be that, well, if I'm really to boil it down, that language is incredibly important. You, you say that language drives culture and culture drives performance. Yeah. Could you could you expand on that? Maybe maybe give some examples of, of of where you've seen that play out. Yeah, it's language. People think intentions drive culture, but they don't because we can be well intentioned, well meaning, but still have dysfunctional language habits. In most organizations, a lot of these are either defensive, ego defense behaviors, defending ourselves or preemptively at trying to protect other people's egos and or structurally coercive 
uh, language patterns and that are a legacy of the industrial revolution. And it's, and it's these sort of um, coercive language patterns, which, which I'm, I'm going after in this book in particular. Now, if I say coercive, that's a pretty strong word, mm. but fundamentally the, the leadership structure that we've had for 400 years is a coercive structure. What do I mean? Some group, the leaders, tells some other group, the followers, what to do. That's got to be coercive because where it's not you choose what to do, what you're doing is chosen by somebody else. So there's two, two problems. Number one is someone is trying to control us, which mm. we don't like. As humans, that's, we, that's stress. And number two is I'm trying to control somebody else, which is impossible. And it's also a source of stress. And so no matter what we do in our leadership training, if it's fundamentally about making decisions and telling other people what to do, it's inherently stressful. We can't get away from it. We can mitigate it. So instead of maybe level 10 stress, it's level nine stress, but it's never going to be level two stress. Right. And so the problem is we can say, oh, well, I want my people to speak up. So here's where intentions and words separate. I want my people, I would love for my team to speak up. I love to hear different opinions. Okay, great. Let's go watch a meeting. What's the meeting about? Uh, is this product ready for release? Is Boeing 737 MAX ready for prime time? Mm. How are we going to have the meeting? Well, we open the subject. Hey, we're here to discuss 737 MAX. What does everybody think? Who speaks first? The loudest person. The, the person is trying to kiss up to the CEO first. So I'm being a little maybe harsh. I don't know. But who's who? Like, why does that person speak first? You got to think about that. And they say, "Oh, look, we've done all the testing. The FAA is lined up. Blah 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 blah. It's the greatest thing. We're going to catch up the Airbus." And then more people pile on. And then the person who thinks, "You know, this is really not a good idea. It's been going crazy in the trainer." But and I really think we need their their ability to speak up starts to shrink, shrink, shrink. And at some point, it crosses a threshold. At which point, it becomes so, so socially painful to speak up that they don't speak up. And then it goes to zero. And then we say, oh, well, everyone had a chance to speak up. And then we run a vote. Okay, <laughs> are we ready to launch? And what's the characteristic of the vote? It's binary. And then again, the same first person puts their thumb up. This is the person who wants to be the next CEO. Puts their thumb and they stick it in the up direction. So I say, and then I say, oh, gee, yeah, everyone had a chance to speak up. Everyone could. But the way I ran the meeting was structurally coercive and fundamentally inimical to different voices. What you want to do is don't talk about it. You want to vote first. And the reason this sounds weird is because it's different and because our language patterns are patterned after the Industrial Revolution, not the future. They've coming from the past. And so we vote first on a, on a, on a non-binary basis, on a probabilistic basis. How ready is this product? Everyone slides a card out. One to 99. We don't allow zero. We don't allow 100. One to 99. And then... Now, I say, okay, everyone flip your cards. And I see there's a whole bunch of 90s and 99s, but there's two, there's a one and a five. I really want to hear what that per one and a five have to say. And then I say, okay, 
what yeah, I say, hey, someone want to tell us about like t- let's hear from this group. And if it f- it's a safe environment, those people will speak up. And if no one speaks up, they say, okay, great. Why would someone think this? What would a, let's come up with five possible reasons why someone would vote one. And what people generally say at that point is, well, um, you know, this is stupid, but they might say, I think, no, 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 we're not going to diminish it. We're not going to disrespect it. We're going to respect it. And you're going to have to present it as if you actually believe it. You don't have to believe it. <laughs> but, but we, and then, and so then the one person, maybe they do speak up and they say, hey, so here's what I've seen. Blah, 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 blah. And then what does the rest of the group do? Again, the next dysfunctional behavior is, no, 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 you're wrong. Look, we've done all this testing. They, they explain right, to them right. why they're so wrong. What, what's missing, they're not curious about what that person sees and knows that they don't see and know. They come from a place of arrogance. They come from a place of certainty. They come from a place of determinism, which is how we've been wired to be as leaders and maybe even got them where they are. But in the complex, fast moving world of today, it's not going to get us. It it results in fundamentally bad decisions. Bad decisions are they're not engineering problems. They're human interaction, social dysfunction, language problems. And telling people, oh, run a meeting in a way that invites separate voices or makes it easy for the outlying opinions to be heard isn't enough. Uh, here, here's another one. It's a good example for personal behavior is I had a bad habit where I would quote, if I had to explain something, I would explain it and I say, right? Does that make sense? Mm. And this, this, what does that do? Well, right. Of course. Uh, does that make sense? Of course. Like, oh, I can't admit that, that. Well, no, that doesn't make sense because what well, that makes me stupid, right? Right. So, right. See, I just did it. Oh yeah. my gosh. <laughs> so what? So I'm stumped. I, I'm just stunned in the I'm just stunned in the silence. It is so funny. Anyway, but, but, but it speaks to it speaks to how easy it is to 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 kind of roll with the punches that way. That that's just that's just how we speak at work. Right, that it's it's, it's <laughs> right. Not, it, you, you don't <laughs> you even think said it twice about it. yeah, exactly, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Because because the language, what is the purpose of saying that? The purpose is to get people to nod their heads and get on board, and and it's deliberately to suppress dissenting opinions. It's deliberately coercive. it's because in the industrial age, I made the decision and I needed you to just do it. Like, don't like, I'm not really, I'll pretend we'll run a charade. Well, I'll pretend to care what you think, but I really don't care what you think. What I really want is I'm waiting for enough time to go by to just say, okay, great. Now can we just get on with it? And again, people die. Products are malfunction. Companies go out of business. People lose their livelihoods. Uh, the environment is trashed. Whatever uh, bad things happen because we have this, these dysfunctional language patterns. Not, I'm an optimist about human nature. I think people want to be good. They want to make it easy for the person who feels like, yeah, I don't know, it's a little bit scary. Mm-hmm. I must be the only person who sees this mm-hmm. to speak up. Most people would say, yeah, I want that. So it's not the intention. 
it's it's the words that well, we need to fix. Well, and this is this circles back to what you said right off the top was was that um, intention isn't enough, right? And it's it's that that action that you really need, and 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 so many of our interactions, so much of what we do in a workplace relates to the way we speak to one another, the way we engage with one another. Um, so th- th- this is really fascinating stuff. Um, w- one of the other kind of big ideas, I think, that came out of this book is this delineation between red work and blue work. Yeah. And I'd love it if you could just I- explain the difference between the two and why why good red work looks so different from good blue work. Yeah. So uh, on the submarine, as a submarine commander, I had a problem because I – we had a paucity of thinking. We had plenty of people doing stuff and we were generally pretty good. If I said, or if I ordered load a torpedo, we'd open the book, we'd do step one, two, three in sequence and we'd load torpedo. Where I was missing was the ability of the weapons department to recognize that we were changing our mission and that we needed Tomorrow, we needed to be loading torpedoes. So it then always fell on me to order loading torpedoes, and then they would do it fine. They perceived their job as, okay, we're just here. We're here to do what we're told, and we're very good at doing what we're told, and we're very good at loading torpedoes. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I'm not good at figuring out that we need to load torpedoes or change our torpe- and change from torpedoes to whatever it is. So I set down this path with my, with, with my team to – get more thinking and more it often involved more variability. It, it, it always involved more variability. So thinking benefits from increasing variability, thinking benefits from more different opinions. I want to cast a wider, wider net. That's why diversity is beneficial to corporate longevity. So the problem became Okay, great. So I get to think, I get to have opinions, I can share them, that kind of stuff. But not when you're loading a torpedo. When you're loading the torpedo, I want you to follow the book precisely. I want focus and I don't want variability. I don't want one, two, four, three. I want one, two, three, four. I want every time I want to be, I want manufacturing reduce variability Mm. any kind of recurring process is going to benefit from reducing variability so we needed a way to talk about okay for this kind of work the decision to load torpedoes what team we were going to use what time we were going to do it i wanted to increase variability to embrace variability but for these kinds of work starting the reactor starting uh, loading a torpedo I needed a to. Uh, I was allergic to variability, right? And so the words so of the language it was actually like we were speaking two different languages. So over here, when when we talk about loading the torpedo, which is what we call red work, red is because like red is focus. I'm locked. I'm I'm dialed and I'm locked mm-hmm. in. Mm-hmm. And so the, the point is, the crew of the Santa Fe was ironic. We were better at embracing variability. We, we made better, like fundamentally, the reason why the, the crew became so good was because we made better dis- decisions. Okay. Uh, because we had more involvement in the decision-making process by people who are closer to the actual information. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And 
But we were also better once the decision was made at executing the decision. And when you don't understand, is this a reduced, I, I, over and over again, I say, are we in reduced variability work or embrace variability work? Or is this an reduced variability game or an embrace variability game? Because you don't want to apply a reduced variability rule set to an embrace vari variability game mm -hmm. or vice versa, because then you will obviously have quite suboptimal results. And we see this both ways. We see meetings, generally speaking, I think we have too much reduced variability because that's what the industrial revolution, manufacturing revolution was about being applied to things like meetings. Oh, we're here to build consensus. Well, what, is, what does that mean? I'm reducing the variability of thinking. Right. That's obviously. the whole goal. That's the whole that's goal. Whole goal. Yeah, that's yeah, a yeah. definition of reducing yeah, consensus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, and then I say, and, and then I wonder where all those different voices went. Well, I, <laughs> I just, but when I go to work that would benefit from uh, manufacturing or, uh, process like starting the reactor, then that the, I, I need to be able to differentiate those two things. So that's where I say I'm going to follow the procedure as precisely as possible. If I get to a stopping point, I, if I get to a point where it seems like the conditions don't match what the procedure is assuming at this point, then I don't sort of futz around the edges. I stop totally. And then I go to, and I widen the, I put my pencil down, put my wrenches down, and we then go to embrace variability. So the idea is to be super broad. Mm. If you had a camera, it's not about having like a telephoto lens where you can sort of zoom in and zoom out. It's about having two lenses, a super focused lens or a super wide range lens. And you want to have either one or the other, not halfway in between. Right. And I, my, my, my experience anyway is that in many of the project teams I've been a part of, that that distinction between that both happen, red work and blue work happen, but they often happen simultaneously. It's often unclear yeah. which mode we're in. And and I've I've personally experienced this this kind of sense of of burnout and confusion, not not really knowing like what 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 are we doing here? And this is, yeah, one yeah, the, yeah. this is one of the big problems you describe in the book is is finding that balance and and really someone making the call like this is blue work this is yeah. how we're going to play it how, 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 yeah. how, what would you recommend to an organization who's who's struggling with this kind of thing well I, you, the, the very first step is always to put a name to the phenomenon <laughs> and so I uh, like we call it red work blue work you can call it ex we're in execution mode or we're in thinking mode, but it's got to be clear what what mode we're in. The, the other thing is we have a lot of metaphors, which I think make it muddy the situation. So for example, like some people come back to me, oh, no, no, we're in purple work. Like, yeah, no, there's no such thing as purple work. Right. I, I'm like, I made it up. I get to say that. <laughs> um, but another thing is so uh, the term continuous improvement to me, that to me evokes a picture like an escalator. It's I'm just I'm always I'm continuously it, it, it's to me it's a misnomer. Improvement is discontinuous because continuous improvement would mean that every time I do a procedure, I've changed it slightly. 
Mm. Like every single time I'm making it different. There's just not what you want. What you want to do is batches. You say, okay, we need to do this a hundred times or until we have enough data, we're going to do a hundred welds. And then we're going to look, we're going to 10,000 welds, whatever it is. And then we're going to, we're, and then we're going to, and then we're going to pause. And then we're going to, Oh, I want you to, here's the procedure for a weld. Do it exactly this way. 100 times. Right. Okay. Now let's take data. How was that? Because if I'm saying, Oh, everyone, yeah, everyone do an experiment, weld, however you want. And then let's see what we learn. Like that's, that's not an experiment. That's just a chaos. That's people dying. So we say this, we do it this way. Then we're going to study it. Then we're going to make a change. So it's, it's a stepwise function. Right. And, and, and so in, in a project, it's the same. We're going to say, okay, let's put our heads down. We're going to go to work. We're going to do the, we don't really know how it's going to look finally, but we know what we're trying to achieve. We know the first step. So let's start. We're going to work for two weeks and then we're going to stop. We're going to get together. We're going to say, how are we? What we learn, blah, blah, blah. Let's adjust it. If you don't do that, then what happens is at the 2.5 day point, the product owner has some brilliant idea or the senior vice president for product or whoever, someone goes to some conference and they get some idea. Oh, wouldn't it be great if we used aluminum instead of steel? And like, maybe, but here's the deal. You got to hold that until we get to the next period of blue work, which is going to be in two weeks. No, I don't have the, you know, the discipline, the discipline to like keep my mouth shut that long. So I have to blurt it out and lay it on you. It's like, no, well, we're, that's fine. We're going to put it on our backlog, but we're not going to do anything until we have to protect the team when they're in red work. We can't interrupt them because uh, then we get nothing done all day, which is like AKA, half of people's lives during absolutely COVID because you keep scheduling zoom meetings that go from like 10 to 11, 10 to 11 and then 11 to 12 and 12 to one. So where's the opportunity to actually do anything? I, I'm envisioning the people listening to this right now, uh, driving the cars, mowing the lawn and nodding aggressively. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think it's, it's an absolute, uh, uh epidemic, right? Um, Executives who call meetings should pay the salary of everyone for the length of time that the meetings called for and the number of people in the meeting. Then we'd have much better meetings. <laughs> I think I suspect we would. Much better and, 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 and uh, much fewer. Um, I, I, th I think a lot of the folks, um, particularly people from software backgrounds, for example, would recognize a lot of um, a lot of the concepts that that you, you talk about here. You, you mentioned product owner. You mentioned you know two week periods of work, uh, product backlogs. There's a lot that that um, that sounds similar to um, agile. And I think, particularly for an engineering audience, they'd be very excited about this. Yeah, it's agile. I love it. It's great. I um, it it's. The only it's like it's the only thing that I've seen that recognizes that we have this rhythm of work, which is we go into the work and then we come out of the work. We go into the work, come out of the work. And we like we think about the work from a distance. We go back into the work. And there, there's probably other boat management systems, but none none that I've seen. And unfortunately, I'm contaminated because I end up getting invited to a bunch of advocates. Lots of agile conference or <laughs> agile conferences right. and 
it's great. And I, I learned just barely enough to say the word and, and be dangerous, but yeah. So, so it's funny, like, so with this, we developed like our approach. Uh, it didn't have quite the structure that Jeff Sutherland and those guys put into the agile manifesto and the, and the structure, but yeah, it's, it's, I mean, look, human nature is human nature. Mm. So it's not surprising that as we're making the shift from physical, visual manufacturing work to invisible uh, cognitive thinking work that uh, multiple places on the planet have independently come up with the same kind of fundamental structure. Well, I think that there's a common recognition that the old way just just isn't working. Thank you very much. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and a lot of what you, you describe in the book, you, you reach into, um, you know, a- academic literature, particularly in, in, in psychology and sociology. So, so the, you know, that there, there's a common core there. And like, like you said, that's really interesting, um, that this is, you know, it, it, it is an independent, uh, system and way of thinking and, and, and nomenclature. Um, but, but certainly, certainly there, there's, uh, I, I think a lot to be said for um, it being a different expression of of some uh, some ideas that a lot of technical folk would be uh, would be familiar with and would know and love, right? I think part right. of the problem with agile right. is is and not not a problem with agile, but um, folks outside of software have had a hard time wrapping their heads around it. Yeah, I'm trying to help. Part of it is I'm trying to help all the agile coaches who say they come up to me at these conferences. They say, oh, this is great. I've been in the software teams are working well. But unless leadership fundamentally changes, we're sort of limited in what we can do. And so right. this is this is sort of it's it's a camouflaged agile <laughs> infection of the top <laughs> leadership ranks is really what I'm trying to do. Okay, so now I'm going to think and act agile. I never heard the word because sometimes people sometimes get allergic because then I get the zealots who say, no, no, it has to be called a sprint. It has to be called right. this. And I'm like, oh, you know, okay, great, fine for you. But uh, anyway, another one, though, uh, sorry, I talk about in the book is the what pilots use. The pilots are, are have learned to re-script their language. Right, right. And again, it's the same thing where intentions aren't enough. They don't say, oh, uh, yeah, everyone listen to your co-pilot. Yeah, of course, everyone says that. Sure. But what's, and it's called CRM, crew, crew Resource Management. It got started by NASA several decades ago. And it's made the world, it's made flying safer. Mm. Much, 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 much really safer. And it's not about preaching the desire to hear other voices. It's about the words that you say and make it easier for those other voices to express themselves. And then when they do express themselves, how do we react? Hmm. Which is part of part one too. So what, one of the things that um, I, I, I'm imagining myself um, at work, making this fluctuation, jumping between red work and blue work. And one of the points you make in the book is that, that blue work in particular suffers when time pressure is applied or, yeah. or any kind of pressure, right? That, that forces a narrowing of the mind. It, it decreases that variability. And I've been trying to reconcile myself to this whole idea of, of inviting teams 
to to engage in blue work and giving them the space to do that while at the same time meeting the next client deadline. Um, th- there's a story you, you invoke in the book that uh, my, my daughter happened to be listening. I, I was listening to the audiobook, and you invoke the story of Frozen, right? Yeah. Where the test screenings, the original version of the story just bombed. And, yeah. <laughs> and the team was invited to take their time, figure out what figure out what worked and 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 generate you know new, new ideas and explore, even though Disney had already committed to a release date. I thought that was yeah. just remarkable, and I, I find it very difficult in in my experience to to think through how, how would I do that? How would I give the time and space needed for broad thinking while at the same time panicking about the date and and meeting that next deadline? How, how do you how do you reconcile those two things? It, just saying time out. It's not about are we going to allocate a week or six hours. It's not about that. It, that might be a 5% difference. The, the 95% difference is when you relieve people of the, okay, today we don't need to write any codes of software, any lines of code. We're just going to put our pencils down and we're just going to, we're going to talk about it. In the morning, we're going to talk about where we've come. In the afternoon, we're going to talk about where we're going. There's no expect because I can, I mean, lines of code is a silly way to to measure software, but let's say that's what we're doing. And so we say, um, I need to write 10,000 lines of code in the next 10 days. Well, I can write 10,000 lines of code a day, or I can keep one day to do some thinking and then write 1,100 and a little bit lines of code for nine days. And that's the bet we're making. Yeah, We're saying if you do that, those 1,111 lines of code will be better, more relevant, less likely to have to go back and get fixed than if you had written 1,000 lines of code every day for 10 days and then the next 10 days and the next 10 days and never pause and thought about where you're going. At the end of the day, you have a 2 million line of code program, which is worthless. Right. Right. And after a day of thought, maybe you realize you only need 5,000 in the first place to heck with the other. Exactly. <laughs> or, or one of, yeah, any, any of a hundred thousand things. Yeah, right. So, yeah, yeah, so yeah. perfect. Exactly. So, so that's, so controlling the clock isn't about get letting people like let their belt out after Thanksgiving dinner. And that's an American holiday. <laughs> oh, we, Hey, we, we've got Thanksgiving too. It, it, oh, you it do? happens we to fall a little you. earlier, right? We, yeah. Okay. Yeah, we beta test it uh, for you. But, uh, okay, good, good, good. <laughs> um, letting our belt out after Thanksgiving dinner and just uh, flopping on the couch. Uh, it's, it's about controlling the rhythm and being able to say, pause. The team will have a natural instinct to want to keep working. Mm-hmm. Teams always do. Hey, let's feel so good. It's psychologically rewarding. Look at all the lines of code that I'm writing. And so we have to invite the team. They, they may send signals. Hey, I'm not sure about this. And then sometimes we ignore them. Sometimes we don't. But it's up to the leaders to say, okay, I'll take the heat from the boss. Today, we're not going to write any lines of code. When I do my daily report, I'm going to show zero. And it's, it's going to be fine. I'm going to worry. Don't you worry about that. That's my problem. And right. then it, that, that's, what it, that's what I mean by we got to relieve the the production stress to get into the thinking mode. Yeah, you really need to you need to give the team permission to to exactly. not, to not quote, exactly. unquote, that's all get it a is. thing done today. Yeah. 
Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. This has been an awful lot of fun. Uh, I, I we're drawing kind of down to the to the end of the uh, the chat here. But two two more questions that I, I did want to ask before uh, before signing off. If you could eliminate any one word or phrase that you hear leaders say, what do you think it would be? Well, I, I like quote right eliminating right, and I like does that make sense? But uh, I'm going to go with, are you sure? Uh, because the, these other things, they're, they're more ubiquitous, but they're, I don't think they're quite as harmful as I think, are you sure? The reason, are you sure, is so harmful is because, so, 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 so what, what am I talking? What's the context? Someone comes up and says, hey, I th- really think we should delay product launch. Are you sure? So the, the the problem is now I box the person into a binary response. Yes, mm-hmm. no. Mm-hmm. And it's about a future that I it's impossible to be like, sure. Like, how can I be sure? Like, no, I'm not sure. But the right answer is to say, yes, I'm sure. Of course, I'm sure. No, I'm not sure. And so what happens is knowing that the knowing that if I bring this up, the question is going to be, am I sure? I'm much less likely to bring it up. So in other words, products get launched unless someone is 99% sure this is going to kill people, but like 90%, yeah, no, it's not quite certain enough. Like I'm <laughs> right. So, right, right. And, and so what happens is it's too, it's too like risky to me as an individual in the organization to say, to, to, to be the person who asked the question and then a quote is proved wrong. But so are you sure is a terrible question. Is it safe? Will it work? Uh, I mean, there's so many of them, but but any but that binary question, when applied to the future, is really harmful. Oh, there's no winning. There's no way to give. There's no winning in the moment, and it then creates its own corporate rule, which is. Only be ninety nine point nine 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 percent sure before you ever raise your hand, and then people don't understand. Well, why are you know this happens in the Navy? We have an accident, and then every single time, one hundred percent of the time, so far in the history of the Navy, in the submarine force, this is what I know about. When there's been an, a collision, one hundred percent, one hundred point zero percent of the time, someone on the ship had an indication that the ship was heading into a dangerous situation. Oh, fascinating. Okay. Yeah, 100.0% of the time. There's never been a collision that just, boom, where did that come from? Huh. The problem is the person on the ship either doesn't speak up because they're like, well, no one else seems to think, see, that's where I, I must be the wrong, I'm not going to say anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or they say something and the rest of the people say, no, 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 look, 10 people think this, you're the, you're just the outlier, you're the outlier, you must be wrong. And uh, they get discounted. So the, situ- the, the, the thing is we need to make it easy for people to say, hold on a second, I'm not sure that, this, the product's good. I'm not sure that 737 Max is ready for right. prime time. I wish the culture at Boeing had been more conducive to that. Well, and it's easy to see how something you, you talk about um, uh, five finger voting in situations yeah. like that. And you, you talk yeah. about how sure, right? Correct. Now, are you yeah. sure? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so that, that, that's good. Thanks. You, so the antidote is to start the question with the word how right 
How sure? How likely? How safe? Is the COVID vaccine safe? Meaningless question to, to, to someone who's an engineer. Right. What does that mean? Yes, no. Is flying safe? Is walking across the street safe? <laughs> Meaningless. Right. Is taking another breath of air safe? <laughs> but, but how safe is it? Now, that's a meaningful question. Right. Because there's no such thing as risk-free. That, that, that's, not a, that's not a thing in our world. Yeah. Risk-free is dead. Um, well, th- thank you very much for that. That, that uh, I, I, I really appreciate that. Um, now, uh, finally, and, and this is a, a, a maybe a softball question. Um, if people are interested in in you and your work, um, interested in learning more, what uh, what can they do to 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 go and find out more about David Marquet? Yeah, I think uh, thanks for that. Our program is called Intent Based Leadership, so. You can Google that. We have a LinkedIn page. You can find me on LinkedIn. Say hi. My first initial is L. So it's L, David, Marquet, M-A-R-Q-U-E-T. But the probably the most fun thing to do is to go on YouTube and type in leadership nudges. And I have this weekly series of these little one to two minute-ish uh, videos where I just take one little tiny thing and like I say, okay. If you're going to ask a question, don't say, are you sure? Right, ask, right, right. How sure are you? So little things like that. Oh, that's perfect. We, yeah. Leadership nudges on YouTube. Click like, click subscribe, say hi, uh, make a comment. Let us know how it works for you. Uh, you can subscribe on the website and we'll send you a weekly email. You hit reply to the email, comes back to me. Cool, cool. That's great. And and what I'll do in the uh, in the show notes I'll put links to all this stuff to make it uh, make it easy for people to uh, uh, to to find all this stuff. Um, uh, David, this has been an absolute pleasure. This has been just great. Uh, I really, really appreciate uh, you taking the time today. Thank you. Thanks, Pat, and thanks to all your listeners. Talk soon. Cheers. Thank you once again, David, for that conversation. Uh, really, truly enlightening. Uh, and an awful lot of fun. As I mentioned off the top of the show, it's very, very cool to to be able to meet the authors of some of your favorite books. It's just a, a brilliant, brilliant experience, brilliant man. So thank you once again. A few things really jumped out to me during that uh, that chat. And, and right off the top, uh, David mentioned something really important, which was that intention on its own can't drive culture wanting things to be a certain way and even expressing that you want things to be a certain way like hearing the opinions of those around you isn't enough you you really do need to set the scene you need to behave in certain ways that make that possible so all the intention in the world won't really make a lick of difference until you take action to support that intent and i thought that was a really important takeaway from that one of the other things that i really really like is this idea of voting first in meetings and then discussing. And he talked about non-binary voting. The world we operate in as engineers and engineering leaders is, is not binary. There's all sorts of gray. So to, to couch conversations in binary terms just doesn't make sense. Uh, yet we continue to do that because it's easy and it's what we know. So I really like this idea of voting first, driving conversation, and allowing for shades of gray, like in five-finger voting, for example. And other people will have heard of, of systems like uh, multi-voting on a whiteboard, that kind of thing. 
these are extremely powerful tools, and I'm really glad he uh, he went into that today. One of the other big things that I really, really liked uh, from all this is the importance of avoiding asking right, <laughs> which is so funny because I did it during the podcast right after he did it during the podcast. It's so easy to do. It's so easy to seek that automatic validation and and actually put the people that you are trying to lead in a very awkward position. You're essentially asking them to validate you instead of asking them to to check your thinking. When you ask, right? <laughs> which is which is you know, something I do all the time, all the time. And even since this conversation with David, I've caught myself over and over and over again doing this. So that's going to take quite a bit of time to to correct. So I really appreciated uh, his insight on that. And, and that's a suggestion that I'm definitely taking to heart. Just a reminder that if you wanted to refer to anything we mentioned during the show, you can go to the show notes at engineeringandleadership.com slash episode 31. Next up, we've got the Engineering and Leadership Mailbag. Well, my friends, you know how this works. This is the part of the show where I read your messages and answer your questions. I promise to read absolutely everything you send me, and I promise to share my favorites right here on the podcast. I had a wonderful note from uh, uh, someone named Henry Adesina. Uh, which I'll, I'll read to you here. Hi, Patrick. Henry from Nigeria here. Just thought to drop in that your podcast has been amazing in my personal and career growth over the last year. I started listening at the beginning of the pandemic and haven't looked back. Made a step toward applying to a school in Germany for BSc in engineering management. Henry, thank you so much for reaching out. I really appreciate it. So glad that you've been on this journey throughout the pandemic. In fact, honestly, it was the pandemic that drove me to resurrect the podcast. It, it had been sitting dormant for, for quite a while, and all of a sudden I had all this time on my hands. So I really wanted to reconnect with the community, reconnect with the podcast, and it's been an absolute blast on this end here as well. So best of luck in your application to a school in Germany. And uh, uh, again, very, very cool. I say this all the time. Very cool to know that there are people around the world listening to the podcast. So uh, you, you really did make my day. Thank you so much for that. Quick reminder that if you'd like to be on the show, uh, there's a way to do that. You can just leave me a voicemail at engineeringandleadership.com slash contact. Uh, and if you would like to chat, you can also find me on LinkedIn or leave a comment at the bottom of the show notes, again, at engineeringandleadership.com slash episode 31. That is all the time we have for the show today. I'll be back next week with our next episode with Henrik Selstein, the CTO of Wastefront on circular economies and how technology can save the world. If you enjoyed the show, it would be awesome if you could leave a review, and I'd love to hear what you found most interesting today. If you do leave a review, that helps me a lot by providing me solid feedback on how I can make the show better, and it can help others find the show as well. And if you do leave some feedback, I promise to share that in the mailbag section. For more information and links to the resources mentioned today, just go to the show notes at engineeringandleadership.com slash episode 31. Until next time, this is Pat Sweet reminding you that if you're going to be anything, be excellent.
You've been listening to the Engineering and Leadership Podcast with Pat Sweet. If you'd like to learn more, go to engineeringandleadership.com where you'll find more free articles, podcasts, and downloads to help engineers thrive. That's engineeringandleadership.com.